0: Well, I'm thankful this morning for all who have led us in worship, thankful for their worship leaders, and thankful for all of you for being here this Sunday morning. As we continue a sermon series, we're talking about head-scratchers, Jesus' surprising words within the parables. The parable this morning is actually two, it's a, a twin parable within Matthew 13. You know the feeling. The moment that you're searching for something and you find the thing that you want. And that is such a good feeling. This might feel even better when you find the thing that you want and then you see that it's at a price that is less than what you expected to pay. I've experienced this a few times in my life and it is indeed enthralling, When I was in college, I would often flip guitars to make a little extra money. I am by no means a luthier, but I can lower the action on a guitar. I can change guitar strings and maybe install a strap button or something like that. And then I'd list this guitar and buy another one. And then I'd repeat the process forward and forward. I wandered into a music store one time with some friends and I could not believe my eyes. There was a seagull guitar. And I've always loved these. They're handmade in Canada with a cedar top. Wild cherry back insides. It was used. It had a few nicks on it. The pick guard needed to be replaced. But pretty simple work. Here's the best part. It was about one-fifth of the price that people would pay for an, a used one online. I was willing to do anything to buy this guitar so I told the salesperson to hold that guitar in my name and I came back with cash with the receipt in my hand walking out of that music store I had the feeling that I had stolen that guitar from the shop as an unemployed college student was there a better use for my limited funding for sure did I need to eat ramen noodles for a few days to balance out the cost in my spending? You bet. Did I flip that guitar to make a few extra bucks? Not a chance. Our scripture lesson from Matthew thirteen forty four to 46, it's two parables that are connected in theme and in sequence, comparing the kingdom of heaven. Let's examine this text together. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight. Amen. To what is the kingdom of heaven not compared in Matthew 13? The kingdom of heaven is like a sower. It's like a mustard seed and yeast. It's like a net. It's like a treasure hidden in a field and a merchant in search for fine pearls. Jesus uses these illustrations like a teacher, using every technique possible to reach every student within the class. The two examples are both valuable items, especially within the ancient world. Pearls were greatly valued, debatably on par in value ...with gold and diamonds, according to Donald Sr., the Chancellor of New Testament Studies at Catholic Theological Union in Chicago. A treasure hidden in a field would not have been a completely foreign image either. In the ancient world, barring modern banking and lockboxes, sometimes the safest place to put something would be to bury it in a field... The text is not necessarily claiming that the kingdom of heaven is just something valuable, though. A modern retelling of this story wouldn't be that the kingdom of heaven is like that billion-dollar lottery ticket. It's not like a blank check. But instead, the kingdom of heaven is the thing worth trading it all for. And yet, something greater in value ...than monetary worth. There's also a bit of mystery within the syntax of these two parables. The first says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And the second one, it should say... ...the kingdom of heaven is like fine pearls in which a merchant searches for. But instead, it actually says... ...the kingdom of heaven is like the merchant in search for fine pearls... So this kingdom of heaven is valuable and potentially rare. It may take some searching to find, but when one does find it, it's worth everything else combined. These parables in connection and comparison to the kingdom of heaven, they show us a cost of discipleship. Douglas Hare in the Interpretation Commentary series says that the treasure and the pearl, they stress the human response to what God is doing. Like buried treasure, God's activity is sometimes hidden and must be discovered. Like a pearl of immense worth, it must be sought in order to be found. Now these parables are starting to sound a bit like a riddle. But simply put, the parable could show us a path of greater fortune in investment. A person's digging in a field and finds buried treasure in joy. He doesn't just unearth the treasure, but he sells everything to buy the field and thereby obtain the treasure. Just like that merchant searching for pearls, trying to find one of great value, he sells everything to buy the pearl. These individuals in the parables, they're not looking to trade in their valuables, though. They're not venture capitalists seeking to buy up rental properties or flip houses on the cheap. These people are in it for the items compared to the kingdom of heaven. The question is, what are we searching for? When one purchases a DVD one really is attempting to purchase two hours of entertainment. When one buys a bounce house for their kids, they're purchasing entertainment for their kids' party for a period of time and possibly to tire them out a little bit. When one buys a book, one may be looking for a mental escape. One may be looking to dream. One may be looking to learn a new skill. Sometimes the item acquired is an avenue. Sometimes it's an opportunity. The symbols in the parable show a search, a pursuit for the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus is getting at in these pictures. He's showing us and the disciples what it's like to search for the kingdom of heaven. And then when we notice a glimpse of it, He's telling us what our response should be. It should be like the one that found the treasure in the field or the merchant that was searching for those pearls. When we take notice and find evidence of the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven, it should spark the beginning of a process. In the book Parables, the challenge of the historical Jesus, John Dominic Crossan denotes this pattern with the two parables, and he ascribes three ways that every Christian should respond to Christian discipleship. The first step is Advent. He says this is the radical discovery of the compelling nature of the reign of God. The second step is reversal, the call for life conversion, where one by one submits everything to the demands of God's reign. The third step is action. Full commitment to the reign of God in one's life. The parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price show you the value and the cost of Christian discipleship. For the gift of Christ is free, but it is also not cheap. Following Christ is costly. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his book, the cost of discipleship, cheap grace is is the grace that we offer to ourselves. It's the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. We see within these parables there is a deep and holy longing for something. This merchant is searching for pearls... And upon finding a pearl of great worth, he exchanges everything for it. Someone is digging in a field and then finds a buried treasure. And in joyful discovery, trades all in exchange for that treasure. If you think about your life, is there something that you would trade it all for? Another way to ask that question. Is, the activities of your life. What is it showing that your treasure is? University of Richmond alumna and acclaimed writer Kelly Corrigan in her podcast tells the story of sitting next to a newly retired guidance counselor on a plane. The guidance counselor is celebrating her retirement after 40-plus years of service in the schools. With a special trip, Kelly, or Corrigan asked her, What do you think is the difference between the kids now and the kids when you first started? The guidance counselor responded that she asked every parent for 40 plus years the same question. What do you want most for your kids? 40 plus years ago, the answer was, I want my kid to be a good person. And in recent years, the answer shifted to, I want my kid to be happy. It's a different aim. There's nothing wrong with wanting happy kids. I want happy kids. But aiming for children to be good people is different than wanting happy kids. The same is true within our own lives. Do we want to be good people? Do we want to be happy? Quite often, we're chasing things within our own lives. Happiness and fulfillment... We're looking and searching for things that will satisfy us. We assume we know what will make us happy, but I've heard it said that happiness is like a cat, not not a dog. Happiness does not respond well to pursuit. And even when we get the thing that we think will make us happy, it's not always the result. There's a pastoral care story in Granger Westberg's book, good grief. The deacons read this early in 2021. The story is of a young couple that gets married and they live in a modest-sized house. Money is tight and life is simple, but they're happy. They both work and they're able to meet at home for their lunch breaks together. They're both home at 5 p.m. and they have their evenings together. The husband gets tapped for a promotion at work. He leads a successful project, and gets the attention of the higher-ups in his office. His salary triples. They sell their house, and they get a much bigger one. The schedules get busier, and suddenly there's no option for lunch breaks at home, and 5 p.m. is not getting home time. Despite financial stability, complications emerge. The couple is more stressed than ever. He's miserable in trying to maintain the standard of living and the pressures of his important job. And she's depressed and lonely, longing for those simpler times in that modest-sized home. Much of our lives is spent in pursuit, seeking something, seeking that which we think will make us happy. That which will satisfy us, seeking a weekend or a holiday or the next rung on the ladder, the endless chain can be interrupted when we take notice of the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven that is breaking in all around us. It's when service takes priority over being served. It's where priority is given to those that could never pay you back. We will never be satisfied if we spend our lives chasing that which we think will make us happy. But we can pursue the kingdom of heaven when we notice it in our midst. And when we notice it, we know what our response should be. Like one who finds a treasure in a field or a pearl of great price to an outsider who doesn't notice the inbreaking of this kingdom of heaven, it may look nonsensical. But to one who has experienced it, it makes all the sense in the world. In fact, it's obvious that we would trade for the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is not the thing that robs you taking all of your money, but it's the thing that you would joyously trade it all for. Happily reversing course in our lives... To, achieve, to obtain and achieve this kingdom of heaven here on earth. It's almost like that old seagull guitar. We leave it in our family room sometimes and my boys light up when they see it. They go, dad dad's guitar, dad does guitar. And I like to put it in open tuning so they can strum and make music. That guitar never headlined a world tour. Garth Brooks never traded me for it. It's not worth a whole lot, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's traveled with me on mission trips to New York City and South Carolina, and most recently to Bluefield, West Virginia. The kingdom of heaven is not our most valuable possession, but it is the thing that we would trade it all for. Could we say that we would trade anything? To see our enemies befriended? To see racial divisions erased? To see family squabbles resolved? To see hungry people fed or wars ended? Would we give anything to know that our children are educated, that the church is united and the grieving are supported? Christian discipleship challenges us to take notice of the ways that our lives are formed and shaped based off our theology and our beliefs, we may need to give up what is less valuable, to give priority to what is more valuable. As is said in Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart also lies. Beneath the surface of our decisions and our beliefs, there is also an unspoken reality. Even mundane activities can represent our priorities. The things that we buy or we don't buy. The ways that we interact with strangers or enemies or our neighbors or our friends. The way that we spend our time and prioritize our schedules. For Jesus shows us this cost of discipleship. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus sets more than a moral example in our lives. But Jesus shows us what it's like to give everything up. And on the other side of that, there is hope. There is resurrection. In following Jesus, there is a recognition that a total commitment is required. Not just an initial decision to follow Jesus, but to follow him with all of our lives. To tune our lives to notice the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven, it's like a crack in the door filled with light. When we discover the inbreaking of king- the kingdom of heaven within our worship or conversation or congregational care or volunteering at church, whatever else it may be, we learn to value Christian decision making and discipleship. For in giving all of ourselves in Christ, there is an alternative. But the path we follow is one of true joy. One of an awakened level of spiritual consciousness, finding our lives truly joyfully embodied in following our resurrected Savior. And that is a treasure worth giving it all up for. That is a pearl of great price. Amen. If you have never put your faith in Christ, I will be up front with our senior pastor, Dr. Noel Schoonmaker, to welcome you. Or perhaps you'd like to make a decision for baptism. We have...